A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday, Haley. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, Dan. I am excited because we are pounding the final nail into the coffin of February. <laughs> Right? Wasn't sure what nail we were talking about at nope, first. No, <laughs> no, I know, but I love putting the finishing touches on February. If I had to pick a least favorite month, hmm. I think it'd be February. Yeah. Really? I get a little more angst in March, actually, because I'm usually very disappointed by March. Well, I, yeah, disappointment <laughs> disappointment covers my year. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that February, I'm so over the cold and the winter and the snow. Yeah, and but the then it keeps going in March. But there's more hope. Sure. Okay. Because March could be yes. nice. February yeah. never is. Right? Yeah. So we're pounding that final nail into the coffin, and I'm feeling pretty good. All right. We've got a lot of different things planned for today. We're solving a problem of yours in the middle of the show. Yes. We're going to be talking to that. about heaters for a garage space that you want to convert into a studio. Yes. I'm so, an artist and I need a studio space. So yeah. Haley's got this plan and one of the big sticking points is figuring out how to make that space warm in the winter and cool, cool in, the summer. in the summer. And you've done a ton of research and you're going to share that with all of us. That's going to be great. We're also, at the end of the show, going to be talking about paint kits, which sounds absolutely about as exciting as it gets. About as exciting as a first aid kit. Yes. Although that might be more exciting. Yeah. A first aid kit is more exciting. But there's really good stuff to be had from compiling some paint supplies and keeping them at home, ready to go for when you do tackle that next project. Because usually we all get started and find there's a couple things we're missing. Yeah, we're underprepared. And the project can go awry when that happens. So that's coming up at the end. But right now, we are basking in the glow <laughs> of our Benjamin Moore rep, Kevin Herman. And we're so excited to hear what he's got to say. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Some people would say it's an honor to be, from your point of view, an some, honor to some be here. Some would say right? that. Some would, yeah. yeah. I haven't <laughs> met him, <laughs> but I'm sure somebody would say something Well, like if that. you ever yeah. find those people, send them in, because i just love to hear that. I'll I'd love to say looking. thanks for being here and have somebody say, you know what, it's an honor. Yeah. How much time do I have? Why? <laughs> to, to look or to, yeah. Yeah. Oh, to look. <laughs> like, I mean, as long as you need, If there's a Kevin. deadline, we, we might come up a little short. <laughs> All right, let's just move on. All right, so what we wanted to talk about with you, Kevin, what we decided you were good enough to cover on the show. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, well, you set it up. It's pretty you, limited, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, we want to talk about ceiling paint. And before we get to actually talking about ceiling paint, because we all know how riveting that sounds. Right? Ceiling paint it's as a topic. Yep. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh-huh. We want to talk about painting the ceiling because from a homeowner's point of view, at least from this homeowner's point of view, and I'm gesturing towards myself, uh, that's one of those projects I don't I don't look forward to. I, I have got to paint a couple of ceilings, and I have dreaded that, and, and I know a lot of things about how to pull that off, mm-hmm. right. but I still don't get excited to do that. I think so, it's why you're avoiding painting your back room right now, because you know first you should paint the ceiling. I know. It is. I don't want to do it. it. It's just there's a lot going on, I, and I've not done a lot of it, and I think there's a lot of homeowners in that boat, and so we've got this paint expert from years and years. How many years of experience? 30 plus. 30 plus years. 
the brilliance that's going to pour forth from your mouth. You're setting the bar too high. I know. I know. It's way up there. What do you got for us? How do we paint a ceiling? So, I mean, when you're painting the walls, you've got everything torn apart. You might as well put a fresh coat on the ceiling. It takes very little extra work, not much product. So, in preparation for this, I talked to a number of different painting contractors to see what their techniques were. It's like asking somebody how to cook a steak. <laughs> Everybody's oh. got an opinion. Okay. Yeah. They all do it differently. Totally. And there's only one way to do it, and it's their way. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you marinate it or whether you're not allowed to marinate it, whether you put salt and pepper on it or whether you use natural gas, charcoal, natural wood, everybody has a different opinion. All right. That's true. So I kind of So there's them. no answer. Well, <laughs> got there's, nothing for there's no particular right way. There are some common themes, though, so I thought we'd kind of stick with those. The first thing, if you're painting a ceiling, use a ceiling paint. Can I, can I pause and ask a question? Yeah. When do we paint the ceiling? You paint the ceiling before you paint the walls. There we go. So yes. there's your yeah. first thing. And, and yeah. are, is everybody on the same page with that, or is that another yeah, one yeah. of those? Yeah, no, I think that's pretty common. Okay. Yeah. okay. So ceiling first, and now your first point. Use a ceiling paint. Use a ceiling paint. Yeah. We make paints for ceilings. They're toned properly. They are flat, so they don't have any sheen to them. So when you're... Rolling out the ceiling and you have lap marks, you're less likely to see streaks. That makes sense. And it also but hides also some texture. imperfections. Yeah. 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 The texture on the ceiling always bothers me. The more I can hide some of that texture, I think the better. Mm-hmm. So a ceiling paint versus just a flat wall paint. Yeah. What's the difference there? Just dead coarse flat product. So a ceiling flatter paint is going to be flat. flatter than flat. Mm-hmm. It's right. as flat as we can make it. So, Haley, you mentioned... Textured. Textured ceilings are probably the easiest thing to do because there's already some texture obscuring the imperfections. Uh, When you have a smooth ceiling, maybe your technique has to be a little bit better, but we'll talk about that. Okay. So first thing is get a proper ceiling paint, not just a flat wall paint, a proper ceiling paint. And we're going to have some recommendations at the end of this segment. Mm -hmm. What's the next thing? Uh, The next thing is, I think the common roller nap was a half inch. Okay. We want to put enough product on there so we can spread it around, get it thick enough so we have complete coverage. I'd say half inch was the the most common size. Some people would go with the microfiber, but just get a half inch, you know, good quality roller cover. And is so, that because of the texture? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And plus, you want to put enough on there. You're reaching over your head. You don't want to take it. Yeah, you don't want to go back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what if it's flat? What if it is smooth? What if there's no Still texture? Still going to do a half inch. Still a half inch nap. Yeah. Yep. And the flat, being a dead flat... Mm-hmm. You're not going to see a lot of texture or anything that you've created from that roller. As long as you don't overroll it. As long as you don't overroll it. Mm-hmm. So we're rolling pretty good at this point. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? I see. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I'm really glad that I've drawn this much attention to that. Yeah. What's the next point, Kevin? Cut the entire ceiling in first. With the brush. Okay. Right around the edges. <laughs> The blank stare. Yeah. Well, I, I was kept like, thinking. Did he hear something that I didn't hear? No, <laughs> I thought happening? Kevin's got to have more to say. We would never give you Maybe sharp tools. I... <laughs> yeah. All right, so cut in the whole thing yeah, first. Brush cut. Brush cut around the edges. All right, yep. that, that makes sense. And then, as you're rolling, we're going to roll tight to those edges. 
We don't. If we have a three or four inch wide brush cut, we don't want to leave that. We want to get it down to a half inch. We want that roller nap to overlap the brush cut. That way, the texture goes from one edge all the way to the other, and it's, so it's going to be less visible. So, how far do I cut in? People sometimes make that mistake. They cut in way more than they need to. You can cut in a little ways. They, yeah. Well, a little ways yeah. is what? what? What do you think is a good two way to Two and a half inches, uh, two inches. I mean, that's plenty. Right. And right. that's your yeah. typical like brush size anyway. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. really just like one yeah. run. Right. I've and seen people do four inches or more. I've seen people get by with very small amounts, and then yeah. rolling up to that can be complicated. It's too much painting with a brush if you're trying to get a four-inch wide cut. You don't need that. And you're going to roll within maybe a half-inch, quarter-inch of whatever you know the wall is. All right. All right. Yeah, so what, what step are we on now? Well, I think we just cut it in. Yeah. So the I think the fourth step would be your actual rolling process. So the best thing to do with the ceiling is try to keep a wet edge going. What does that mean for the layman? It means we don't want the paint to dry necessarily in between you know, dips with the roller cover, continuing on. If we can keep a wet edge going, then we have a much better blending process. So let's say, for example, we have a room that's, uh, I don't know, 10 by 12. Mm -hmm. Let's work across the shorter distance, the the 10 foot, and then you do little squares like you'd normally paint, lay it off in the same direction, and then continue on and just overlap as quickly as possible. What we so you do little squares. Tell me about that. Because yeah. I was always in, under the impression that I'm rolling edge to edge in a, in a on row. A ceiling? Yes. Depending on how big the ceiling would, that would be very difficult okay, to keep so going. Okay, so you're rolling, you're recommending... Like yeah, you're gridding a, it off? Yeah, you're gridding off. Maybe it's a four by four section. Okay. You know, whatever okay. you can do with one dip of the roller. Right. And keep a wet edge. Yeah, and then roll it off in the same direction. The other thing that you need to keep in mind is we're we're planning on two coats on this thing. Two coats is going to even up the application. If we have some spots that are lighter, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to cover them. So plan on two coats. And then whichever way you laid off the roller coat on the first pass, mm-hmm. go the opposite way or, or like a 90-degree angle to it Okay. next time. So we, don't, we have uh, less chance of having roller... Laps. No, that makes streaks. sense. That makes sense. So yeah. if I'm rolling it north to south the first time, the next time I'm going to go east, east to west. west. Yep. And don't over roll. Put it on, lay it off, and keep moving. Don't keep rolling thinking you're going to level it out better by more sure. rolling. So what happens is we're, we're painting a ceiling, especially if we're doing it in the winter. Heat's rising, temperature's up, yeah, low humidity. Yeah, it's pretty quickly. Going over a flat surface already. Yeah, it's going to dry pretty quickly. Yeah. So if we roll it as it's drying, you will put texture into it. And you're kind of pulling it back off the mm-hmm. ceiling at that point. Yep. So then you end up with a lot of streaks. So just yeah. put it on, lay it off, keep moving. All right. Don't Sounds make it too good. complicated. Two coats, plan on two coats. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else I could do with... You know, the atmospheric conditions of my room. You well, mentioned the heat. The you, you could turn it down a little bit, the temperature. All if right. it's 70, 75 degrees and low humidity, it's going to dry a lot faster. Yeah. So just drop it down to 60 while right. you're painting, maybe right. a little bit beforehand. Sounds good. A yeah. couple of product recommendations at the end? So as, as far as if we're just doing white, you yeah. get a good ceiling paint from, from Repcolite. Uh, Super Hide Zero, I think, is going to be on sale. It's on sale right it now. It is. That'd be a great one to use. It's a good dead coarse flat. If you're going to be doing a color, then I would recommend... 508, the waterborne ceiling paint, because it has bases. We can do the full color range in that product, and it stays flat. 
most products will not. If we use a flat paint and we tint it in a deep color, it's going to be an eggshell which is going to be very streaky on your ceiling. So use the 508. It's a really, really interesting product because, yeah, it gives you the opportunity to put color up on the ceiling, which... I think it's underrated. It is really underrated. It's a very cool way to go to add some, you know, just something unique in that space. Right, Right. some interest. But the problem in the past has been doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the products that we would mix that into, we'd end up with some sheen. Yeah, you fight it the whole time. That becomes a problem. But with this one... It really stays a dead flat. I've worked with it, and it's surprising. Really easy to use. Yeah, yeah, very easy. All right, all kinds of stuff. We'll put some, some of that those bullet points in the show notes, Kevin. Okay. Along with your little picture, like a little headshot, <laughs> headshot. of Kevin. We'll have some signed eight by ten glossies that we we'll be raffling else's off. Picture? Oh heck yeah, okay, we're not going to use yours. <laughs> no, we, catfish we will. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks, Kevin thanks. Herman from Benjamin Moore, thanks for being here. All right, thanks a lot, you guys. Take care. All right, when we come back, we're going to be digging into a project Haley is tackling. Yeah. We're going to solve your problems, Haley. Thank God. Yeah, and we're going to talk about <laughs> heaters in the garage. That's all just ahead. Stay tuned. Helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, you've got a house, and your house came with a garage. <laughs> and most people are really thrilled when that happens because they've got plans for their garage. And oh, the plans yeah. involve a car lawnmowers, stuff like that, equipment, sure. tools. It's like a storage shed. It is, and we all get excited. If we haven't had a garage before, we're really pumped when we get one. You've got one, but you have got, not a ridiculous, but you've got a very unusual plan for your garage that involves no cars, no, no yeah, tools. I'm not about housing cars. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're made to sit outside. For me, in my opinion, I really love the square footage a garage offers. It's like a bonus house. Mm-hmm. And for someone with a big hobby like me, which is art and even, you know, just DIY projects, having a space for a wood shop or a studio for my art is the most appealing thing I could do with a garage. Right. I completely get it. At first I thought you were a little crazy. You know, because I thought, you know, from... I mean, in the world of she sheds, this is pretty tame. Yeah, I completely get that. But, you know, looking at life, uh, you know, from more years down the road. Yes. Right? I've had more years here. And you've got more stuff. And I've got... Well, we all accumulate stuff. And I I don't know where I'd go with it if I didn't have the garage. So I was thinking you might regret that. But when you made the point about all the different hobby stuff, and I thought about a wood shop type thing. Mm-hmm. I do not want to do that in my basement. Exactly. Because I know the dust it would create and the mess that I would have, and I don't want that. No. But having that outside or in the garage... You can sweep that, it out it super easily. Interesting. So I thought that was you know kind of an interesting idea, and you've been digging so much into this. Right. You came up with all kinds of ways to do it, but you are struggling with a couple of things and so we thought we'd solve those problems for you on the show today. Yeah, just like we it's do for nice you. Pretty nice of us, yeah. right? <laughs> we all win. Yeah. No, but I can wrap my head around the drywall and the painting and the flooring. Mm-hmm. That all is pretty clear. 
The part that I'm struggling with is the heating and cooling of the garage sure. because it's got to be a comfortable space if I'm really going to take advantage of the square footage. And with Michigan winters, I want to make sure I get something that's actually going to work. And there's a lot of different options out there and a lot of, you know, differing opinions. Right. And you mentioned cooling, but that's definitely something that's going to have to play into this as well. Right. Exactly. My garage in the summer is not the most fun place to hang out. I had exercise equipment in there very briefly before I had somebody help me get it to the basement. And it's horrible to use. It was very, very hot. I don't want to avoid it. So all of those are issues to think about. And you have been digging into them. So let's talk about that. And we want to get to some heaters and recommendations. And I think at the end, you've even got an air conditioner recommendation. One that combines both. Exactly. Okay. But before we get to any of that, we've got to start with a couple of first things. And it's it's the prep work of this particular right. project, it's right? It's always the key. Just like painting, you got to do the prep so that the later stuff is successful. And with this, that means looking at the weather stripping, first of all, looking around the windows, around the doors, and making sure you're not feeling the drafts as you stand there or, you know, look for the little spots of daylight peeking through. Right. You've got to seal all that up. Really important for what you're talking about. A side benefit is when you're looking at your house, trying to make sure you're sealing it off against mice and other invaders. (laughs) If you can see little chinks of light coming through stuff, the mice can fit through those areas. So sealing those off, they're not just helping you with, you know, sealing up the garage. It's also preventing some pests from getting through. And that's good because you don't want mice in your studio, right? No, that'd be a real bummer. Right. Sealing that stuff off will help keep the mice out. But what about insulation and stuff? Well, yeah, that's the next step is really insulating the garage really well because if you're going to be heating and cooling this, you want it to be efficient and you want it to actually keep the heat in. So looking at some different options, I mean, first of all, you've got to not only be able to insulate the walls, but also the ceiling of the garage, deciding whether you're going to drop that ceiling or if you're going to leave all that exposed and go all the way up with that insulation. What are you going to do? I want to leave the ceiling vaulted. So it's going to be a little bit tricky getting up there. And that's the other part of this garage project is getting the right tools to help me do that. But I'm trying to think how you work around the lighting and all of that. That's like a whole nother segment. Oh, okay, That's another segment. (laughs) All right. So I'm taking us down another road. So you're going to insulate that a number of different options. Maybe drop the ceiling. Maybe not insulate the walls. And the garage door, the door is also super key, and they actually make specific kits for that. So these panels will fit directly onto those garage door panels, so you can still open and close it. The issues that you can run into, depending on what kind of kit that you get and how heavy it is, is it can really wear on that spring, depending so on what it's rated for. Where do I find these things? Or can I go and check with my garage door manufacturer? Exactly. The people See what they recommend. And there's a lot of options out there. Just make sure you're getting the right one for your setup. All right. All right. So all of that needs to be done ahead of time. And that's really important because getting to the heater, if we haven't found a way to keep the heat or the cool in the space. And keep the mice out. And to keep the mice out. (laughs) What's the point? So heaters, that's all next. You've got a number of recommendations, right? Yep. And then we can run through all those pros and cons coming up on the other side of the break. Can you wait with us, Haley? You're not going anywhere anyway. This is my job, It's your job. (laughs) So anyway, we'll be back in just a minute to talk more about garage heaters. Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. 
on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and we are digging through a garage project that's on Haley's radar. Mm-hmm. You're going to convert your garage to an art studio. Yeah. And I'm recommending kinds... that other people consider it as extra square footage as well. Right. Yeah. She's making a bold claim. <laughs> Normally, you're just spending our money. Now you're telling us how to use our spaces. Well, I'm really spending your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good idea. It's it's not intuitive. It's not the first thing we think of when we we find we've got a garage. You know, it's not the first way we're going to use that space, but it is intriguing. You know, you mentioned she sheds and all of that. Yeah, this I think like people are looking steroids. for extra spaces, you know, office space. I mean, it just really depends on your imagination, ultimately. Well, for you, it's a great time because you haven't put the car in the garage yet. The garage hasn't become a place for yes. tools and all of that. So I you haven't can take committed it, it yet. Right. Yeah. So you're working on that. We talked about a number of the things we need to do ahead of time, and mainly that's sealing up drafts and dealing with some insulation questions and getting the right insulation there. Now we're going to transition into talking about heaters, because I know when you brought this topic up, instantly I think about a kerosene heater, and I think that's the first one on your list, right? Yeah, exactly. I was a little surprised to see it on the top of so many lists when I started researching this topic. Right, because I should clarify, when I think about a kerosene heater, that's the first heater I think of for a big space, Yeah, but it's not one that I really feel terribly comfortable with in a garage setting. Well, there's a lot of safety concerns, exactly. It does a really good job heating, but... But it's on a lot of lists? It's on a lot of lists. For garages. Right, because it can heat so well, but they're not addressing necessarily all of the safety concerns out there. And these heaters can be deadly if your space is not properly ventilated. And that's the problem that people can run into, especially as you get more comfortable having this heater around. You forget that you've got to crack that garage door so that you have proper ventilation and the air is actually moving through the space, not just because you've got the garage door open, but you've got some air being pushed by a fan or whatever else. I think that is such an important idea. I mean, it happens, it plays out all the time with uh, uh, tools of any kind. You know, picture any tool, the first time you're using a table saw. Yeah, First you're 20 really times careful. you're using a table saw, you're careful. Do it for a few years, you're generally still careful, but you're much more comfortable. And mm-hmm. when you're more comfortable, you tend to make mistakes. And I think what you're saying about the heaters is so true. You get, you know, the beginning you're really focused on yes. what could go wrong, and so you're doing all the things right. But after a while, it just becomes the heater. Right. And that could be a concern. So exactly. what is the answer with this? Can you use it? Can you, you not can use, use it? it? You've just got to stay vigilant about that ventilation because what happens is things like carbon dioxide, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, they all build up these fumes and they're really dangerous to us. And we can get a carbon monoxide detector in the space that'll alert us of one of those dangers, but it's not going to tell us about the others. Well, and you just went through telling us how to seal the place up entirely and then we insulated it, but now we're cracking open a door. How does that affect the insulation part of things or not a big deal? Well, I think it's just whether you're going to use the space sparingly Maybe it's fine if you're just using a kerosene heater. If it's going to be a space that you actually want to be comfortable all the time, then I don't think that this is probably the best option. Okay, so that's where you're at with kerosene heaters. Everybody out there, if you look into the process or the project, you're going to find this is recommended a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Haley's making a lot of recommendations about being a little cautious. Exactly. What do you think is a better option or another option, I guess? Another option in kind of that same realm is the electric space heater. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different options within that realm, right? You've got uh, radiant heaters. You've also got forced air heaters. Both are going to do a decent job of heating a space, not quite as well as a kerosene heater. There's not quite the same power. So you're going to have to look into getting multiples in the space at that point if you really want to get it to a good temperature during the winter. Did you dig into what kind of draw that is on my electric bill? There are ones that are supposed to be more energy efficient, so that might be one of the considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Another big one is if you're going to go for an electric space heater, finding one that's going to be able to mount to the wall or the ceiling is a good option, too. If you're going to be moving around the space a lot, it's nice to have something that's just always in its place. It's built into the space and not kind of traveling around with you. No, that makes a lot of sense. Now, the ones that you're talking about here, they would just mount on the surface of your wall, right? We're not cutting holes to vent or anything nope, like that exactly. with this kind of yeah, heater. It's still just a space on the wall. heater, but it's mounted and it's in its spot always. All right. So that's an all right option. You can get big enough ones to heat my space. Maybe right. I need a couple is the what you're saying. The thing to be careful with, though, is if you're going to turn your garage into a wood shop, now you've got a lot of added dust in that space. So if you're looking for a space heater, whether it's forced air or radiant, you've got to make sure that it's rated for a commercial or an industrial space so it's not posing any risks with that dust. Dust, igniting it essentially. Okay, so what if I just do a bonfire in the middle? Of the Seems <laughs> yeah, just that's as another dangerous, but, but it's earthy and cheaper. You get the smell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So there's all kinds of things to think about. Yeah, and I think the other big one too is just like the kerosene heater. This isn't something that's always heating the space, right? It's only heating it when you're in there, potentially. So you've got to wait for it to heat up that space for at least an hour or two before it's going to be comfortable. With the electric space heaters, you do have the option of finding some that have thermostats built in, but also that are connected to Wi-Fi. So you can turn it on remotely, let the space heat up, and then go in once it's to a comfortable temperature. All right. Sounds expensive, Haley. Sounds Still expensive. not as expensive as what we're about to okay. talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you want to spend some money, you know, and you don't want to mess around, you want to cut straight to dropping the cash. Yeah. Haley recommends. I really think I'm probably going to go with a ductless mini split air conditioner and a heat pump inverter. Okay. So... okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that was a whole bunch of ridiculous words. Say Just that slower. So I can track with you. A ductless, ductless, mini split, air conditioner, inverter, heat pump. So essentially, you've got both a heater and an air conditioner. They're running off the same system. You've got a unit outside the wall. Okay. It's venting inside. Okay. And you've got a unit that's attached to the wall inside. All right. Do I need a professional to install this? Or are you going to install this yourself? You can install it yourself. I was reading a lot of reviews. There are DIY people that have been very successful installing them. However, they've pointed out that you do need some specialized tools. Um, the first one is going to be a vacuum pump. That's recommended because you've got to release the Freon gas into the unit. That's what's going to help cool it, right? Okay. And that requires some special equipment. All right. All right. But I could do it, potentially. I can dig into it. 
there are people around here that will gladly help me with that. Exactly. I'm certain of that. I think I would probably get someone to install it because not only are you dealing with a Freon gas, but you're also dealing with electricity. You're hardwiring this and it's got to be hooked up to something that can handle 240 right. versus the typical 120. Well, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of different things involved with that that I would for sure feel more comfortable getting somebody else out there. Exactly. What kind of price are we looking at? Did you dig into they that part of things? They range from around $700 up to around 2000 Oh. So it really depends on your square footage, how high the ceilings are, how well it's insulated. All of that's going to give you your BTU, essentially, mm-hmm. and these are going to be rated differently. All right. Oh, that's that's way different price-wise than I was thinking. The way we built it up, I was expecting much more. It's not inexpensive. Yeah, it's not it's not like a $100 heater, but you know, it's not well, but like... it's it's going to function like something that's much more suited towards the space the way exactly. you know, the way a you want to use space. it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Cuz okay. I mean, people heat their entire homes with these things. You've just got to get the right system for you, but a couple of considerations, um, especially here in Michigan, some of these are built better for inclement weather. So they've got things to protect them from, you know, temperatures that drop. And that's going to be really important for us. All right. So where do we get more info? Can we put something in the show notes? We'll definitely put a link in the show notes. Another quick note is that these have air filters. You've got to make sure that you're getting a unit that can, again, handle the dust that you're creating. If you're going to turn it into a wood shop, make sure that that filter is easily accessible. You can clean it out. Um, you don't want to clog up the internal mechanisms. No, I, I've already decided I've got access to a wood shop here <laughs> where I work. <laughs> and You don't need your own. Yeah, I think my garage can stay for my car. Yeah. Actually, I can't even put the car in the garage. Someday I aspire <laughs> to be able to put the car in the garage when I've organized better. Yeah, that's when that. you've made it. That's when I made it. All right. Anything else you want to add to this whole talk before we wrap it up? I think let's wrap it up. We've right. got more stuff to talk about. All right. So Links in the yeah. show notes about all the things that Haley covered. It's an interesting project. When are you thinking you're going to tackle it? The spring or the summer. The spring or the summer. We will expect updates. Yes. I especially will Especially if it goes sideways. <laughs> Then we really want to know. We want to hear the failures. That's right. So chronicle those, and we'll share them as we go. All right. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll be talking about paint kits. Paint kits? Would we call it that? The supply kit. kits. Yeah. it's, It's a backstock. It's a backstock. Everybody should have an emergency. We've all got, like, band aids. Emergency car kits. Emergency car kits. What is a Band-Aid kit? A first (laughs) First aid aid kit. kit. (laughs) Secondary. Secondary. You need a paint kit. We're going to tell you what you want in that kit so you can survive anything. Zombie apocalypses. (laughs) Anything coming your way. The paint kit will bail you out. We'll tell you what you need. Just ahead. Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, at the end of the last segment, we talked about a paint supply kit and how it was going to protect us in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Got to be honest, I probably stretched on that one. Do you think? I spent <laughs> a fair amount of time during the break trying to find a way to make good on that promise. It's going to have to. Coming up 
blank yeah yeah you lie (laughs) yeah so basically i lied but if you're hanging around because of that lie it's really going to be for your benefit so I, yes. I lied for... We got you here, yes. and now there's going to be really good <laughs> That's information. That's why people hate people who do marketing. <laughs> we lied to get you here. It was a good-spirited lie. It was just me having a lot of fun. Paint supply kits. Why in the world do we need one? Well, the reason we think this is so important is because we've seen, you and I have both yeah. seen, and we've been a part of projects that have gone poorly because we started thinking we had certain tools on hand. And yes. then when we got to the point of actually needing them... And going They're down to get there. them, we realize we don't have them. So what do or we do? We don't have enough. So right. We stretch it. It's just we stretch it, or or do we run out to the store and buy new? No, because no. we're not going to stop in the we middle of a project. Make something else work. Yeah. So we're using old, washed out roller covers instead of nice new ones. We use wrong brushes. You know, a for brush the wrong with project. stiff bristles because it hasn't been washed out all exactly. the way. Exactly. We use the wrong tape and we really pay for it, or we use no tape at all. Right. Yep. Things exactly like that happen, and the projects go poorly. And if it was just frustration, that'd be one thing. But the bigger thing is that it also produces terrible results. I remember talking to somebody once who had an orange peely texture all over her wall, wondered why the paint did that. And as we talked it over, we realized she'd used an old roller cover that had been used on a couple of different projects. She just kept washing it out. And the problem with that is it never got nice and fluffy. It never applied the paint smoothly again. Yeah. And the the roller cover, it doesn't matter how expensive the paint was, if you're using an inexpensive or, you know, a lesser applicating tool, it's going to look bad. Right. This is what's creating the finish on the wall, so it's got to be just as high quality as the paint that you're applying. Right. So, it's really good to have a paint supply kit, some of these tools on hand ready to go so that next time you jump in, You've got what you need. And backstock, because mistakes happen, roller covers get used, and you run out. Right. So that's what we're talking about. That's what we're recommending. And right now is a great time to pick up some of these things because we've got a pro show savings running until March 4. If you're a painting contractor, you've probably heard about it already. If you haven't, contact your rep or stop out at any store and we'll walk you through what's out there. And if you're a DIYer and you want to buy in bulk, you can really get some good savings, great savings for the year. And there are some items where you only have to buy one and you still get the savings. Exactly. so. So let's get to some of the items that you should definitely have at home, ready to go, just in case you start some emergency paint project that you didn't know was coming. And let's start with <laughs> rollers and applicators. And right off the bat, make sure you get a couple of good brushes. Yeah, it's so important. It's going to make a huge difference in having a variety of brushes. You know, not just one good brush, but a good brush that has firm bristles, extra firm. When we were doing your fireplace, that's exactly what we ran into. It was so surprising. It took I couldn't us believe it. forever to cut in between all the bricks, to, to brush in between all those bricks with paint. And I had a, a soft bristled, or I think the one I had was firm, mm-hmm. but it's still, it just it took forever. Enough. You yeah. ran out to get extra supplies. Yes. You literally did on that one. And you came back with an extra firm brush. And I'm and so glad flew. that I did. Oh the my time gosh. Was the so difference. different. Yeah, amazing. So a couple of different brushes. People do balk at spending money on a brush. We'll just buy a throwaway brush. I don't want to clean it out. We don't like to do that. 
really, they clean out fairly easily. Well, yeah, that's the thing about buying a good brush is that they actually clean out better than a cheap one. So you can save it. And if you do that, you do spend a little more up front, but they will last for years and years. I've got 10-year-old brushes in the basement that still look great and work great. So buy a good brush, buy a couple of them, some different kinds, and then keep that packaging. And that's all part of keeping that brush looking great through the years. You wash them out, rinse them really well, spin them dry, and then put them back in their package. And that will reform those bristles into its factory shape and it will stay looking good for years. Exactly. So brushes, roller covers. Roller covers, like we already talked about, it's worth having good ones around. And right now we've got the Wooster Micro Plush roller covers and they're on sale for as low as $249. Right. When you buy a box box of 12. 12. Right. But still, if you're going to do a lot of painting, if you've got a new house or something like that, or you're doing a lower level, who knows what? Or if you have a lot of help. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. Having the box there on hand is great because, as we mentioned at the beginning, the best paint in the world can look terrible if you're using an inexpensive or poor applicator. So buy some good stuff. Now's a great time to do it. Yeah. So there you've got the roller covers. You've got the brushes. What well, other and things? if you have a good roller cover, you need a good roller frame and extension pole. Always recommend the Wooster. Yeah, so those are things you could check out. Another thing to make sure you add to your paint supply kit, make sure you add, is the right tape. Yes. Because using the wrong tape on a paint project, I did that one time. I thought, it doesn't matter. I'll just use this. I've got this masking tape, the cheap brown stuff. Mm -hmm. And I put it up, and I didn't realize, this was before I worked at Repcolite, I didn't realize there was a big difference. Yeah. And I did my painting, but I had to come back over a couple of days. And the third day, I'm all done. And I went to take this stuff off. I'm dreading this. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. I almost needed like a little razor to get this stuff off. It had bonded so well. Exactly. Get tape that's painter's tape that's meant to come off after a little bit of time. And meant to seal properly, too. The frog tape is nice because it actually seals that edge perfectly. You're not going to get a bunch of bleed through. And that's the worst thing. If you've spent all this time taping, and now you still have an imperfect job. Yeah. Frog tape is really interesting. It's something we've talked about on the show. It's got a chemical on the tape itself, right? So that, yep. That's water activated, basically. That's the simplistic version. Yeah. So when water in your paint hits that edge, it activates this chemical, Makes like which a gel. seals yeah. the tape and seals the edge and prevents bleed through. It works really, really well. It's definitely worth the money. And that stuff is also on sale right now. But even if you're getting it when it's not on sale, it's definitely worth the expense. A couple other things, Haley, before we wrap it up. Trays and tray liners, definitely key. Sandpaper, sanding sponges are always good to have extra around in different grits. Yeah, sandpaper definitely stock up on things like 120 grit paper, some 150, some 180, some 220. Keeping that on hand, I mean, that's really, for me, I started doing that based on my own (laughs) advice. And that one has paid off over and over again. Because you can ruin things. Well, I've ruined things. I've, I've used the wrong sandpaper and I've polished something. Oh, you, know, you know, I've sealed up the wood too much yeah. to accept my stain. You really can mess things up with that. So have the right paper on hand so that you can select what you need for the project at hand. All the little stuff, can openers, super key. Don't open your paint cans with screwdrivers. Get a can opener. Ask us at the counter. We'll give you one. Exactly. They're free. Just take it. (laughs) Pour spouts. Well, yeah, pour spout because you can actually seal the can back up again. You don't have all the paint in the rim. There are so many things. We don't have time to go through them all. We'd love to. I don't know that anybody needs to listen to that, though. You get the idea. Stock up on some of these things. It will pay off in the long run. All right. Haley, that's it. 
That's all the time we've got. We're going to wrap it up. Remember, that pro show that we talked about is ongoing until and through March 4. So you've got through March 4 to act on that. Stop out at any RepcoLiter Port City Paints and ask about it. If you want to catch this episode again, you can find it online at RepcoLite.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you'll never miss another episode. Whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. The RepcoLite and Port City Paint stores are open until 3. Waiting to help. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.